Two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Dwight began a message series focused on Advent, simply just called Advent. And last week, uh, I just kind of continued uh, just in that uh, over, you know, uh, that theme of Advent. And as many of you already know about Advent, Advent is the time that celebrates or precedes the celebration of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. And it is a time where we prepare our hearts uh, for that. And uh, last week, as part of that, um, I shared a message focused on the character of Mary, the mother of Jesus, simply titled, What Did Mary Know? And what we did was we took a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, which is the story where the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. He was sent by God to deliver a message to her, and that message was to inform her that she would conceive of the Messiah, Jesus, God's son, the one that Israel had been waiting for, and uh, ironically, this message is delivered uh, not to someone you would think is totally qualified. This is a teenage girl, she's a virgin, she's engaged to be married, and what we discovered by looking at that story and looking at that passage of scripture is that after we investigated all the details surrounding the time, Mary's age, what was going on, we just determined that Mary really didn't know a lot. But that is what makes Mary's story so inspirational. The fact that here's this teenage virgin girl who doesn't really know a lot uh, is, is not necessarily a stumbling block for Mary to carry out what the angel revealed to her. And what we discovered is even though Mary didn't know a whole lot, the one point last week was that In the midst of all that, Mary knew one thing very well, and that was Mary knew surrender. Surrender. We see this uh, surrender in her response to the angel found in Luke 1, verse 38, where Mary declares to the angel, Behold the bond slave or bond servant of the Lord. May it be done according to me, or may it be done to me according to your word. And so we we were talking about that. We finished last week with this point, and and this point is just so. personally profound to me. You know, uh, we took a, just a quick look at what surrendering looks like, and what we determined was that surrendering isn't saying yes to what you do know without saying yes to what you don't know. It requires a yes to the mystery and to the things that you do not know would be coming. You know, and what that means is that when we say yes to God, Um, There will be things that will come. There will be unknowns that we can't control, we can't predict, we can't prepare for. But in spite of all of those things, in the the mystery and and all the unknowns, are you and I still willing to be able to say yes? Now, if you amen me more, I'll get done faster. I'm going to lay that out here. As a uh, pastor, a lot of times you tend to repeat things if you don't feel like people are getting it. So the more you say amen, even if you don't, it's like in Africa. Pastor Dwight said you talk to a, to a Kenyan, and uh, you'd be like, hey, can you do this for me? And he'll say yes. <laughs> so if you don't get it, it's cool. Just go ahead and say amen. Listen to it later. If you want to process it, whatever, we'll get done quicker today. Amen? amen. Okay. <laughs> so I want to do a part two to this. Uh, I don't know why. I, I'm tired, but I'm just happy today. I just, just want to laugh. Amen. You know what I mean? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. So I want to do a part two uh, to this uh, just mini-series within this overarching theme of Advent called What Did Mary Know? And what I want to talk about is I want to talk about two traits 
that are, are what I like to call essentials to surrender. Essentials to surrender. Uh, we find these, these essentials to surrender in Mary's response when we actually take a look at it and we read a little bit between the lines. And so let's go ahead and pray and then we will talk about it. Uh, God, we, we love you. And uh, God, we thank you for the fruit that uh, took place yesterday. God, in all of those uh, first time and repeat salvations, God, in all of those toys, Lord, we know that those are seeds that are incorruptible. Father, they have been planted. And Father, I thank you that they are going to bear fruit later in life. And Lord, as Father, only in heaven will we be able to look back and see how many lives have been transformed at these Christmas outreaches by the seeds that have been sowed. And so, God, we, we celebrate that and we thank you today for it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. After everything that Gabriel said to Mary, Mary responded to, to the angel by saying, Behold, the bond slave or bond servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. I mentioned this last week. Uh, that if you were to kind of modernize that, this was what Mary was saying. This was kind of what was behind her response. God, look no further. If you've been searching the earth for someone to carry out this, to be the bearer of your son, then you don't have to look anymore. Here am I, send me. Doesn't that sound familiar with, I, with Isaiah? That, that, that time where Isaiah said, here I am, send me. That was what Mary was saying here. You don't have to look any further. You don't have to find another virgin. I'm the one. I'm doing that right now. I take, I undertake that call. Because you know that scripture, even Jesus said, many are called, few are chosen. You got to choose the call. And so Mary said, you don't have to look anymore. I'm the one. I will take that on. The first essential to surrender that we see in Mary's response was obedience. Obedience. If we're going to surrender to the Lord, obedience is essential. It's necessary. It's fundamental. It's central to surrender. And just to kind of give you a disclaimer about obedience, it's not glamorous. Obedience is not a glamorous word. No one wants necessarily, you know, uh, likes to be obedient. Uh, our kids do not like to be obedient to mom and dad. You know, uh, it, it's not glamorous, but it's essential if you're going to be someone who surrenders. Obedience isn't just agreement with what God said. That's a part of it. But obedience is agreement in action. Like, you can't say yes without doing something. You know, Mary, we see this, Mary didn't just say yes without reconfiguring her life around that yes. Now, the interesting thing about Mary specifically is like, you know, the angel Pearson says, you're going to uh, give birth to the Messiah. God's going to plant the seed. So you would assume like Mary doesn't really have to do anything, right? She just says yes, and then God does the rest. But what we see immediately after this angelic visitation is you see that Mary adjusts her life. Now, it's, it's, not, it's not laid out, but very specifically, remember the angel appeared to her, and part of what he said was, your, uh, your aunt or your relative, Elizabeth, is going to be with child. 
So the thing I love about what Mary does is it seems, it appears when you read the scripture that Mary, after she says yes, she starts to think about, okay, if God's going to plant a seed in me, I can't do anything about that. But what is something I can do to reconfigure my life around what God just spoke to me through the angel? Well, what I can do is verify that Elizabeth is pregnant. So what, what we have to understand about when God speaks to us in Scripture and prophetically is there may be things that you don't know what to do. But what can you do? What can you reconfigure your life around so that you're not just agreeing with something, but you're actually acting on it? When you're processing the prophetic words that God has given you, when you're reading Scripture, what, it's not just say, saying yes and amen, but it's actually applying that. And so we see that in Mary's life. Mary had, had a distant relative. She can't do anything about God planting the seed in her. She can't do anything about that. But what she can do is go and at least see that her cousin is pregnant. You see what I'm saying? So we see that immediately there's a reconfiguration of Mary's life. What were the plans for that weekend? We don't know that. But I can tell you it wasn't going to see Elizabeth. Because that was in reaction to what the angel said to her. So she from what she knew... She definitely reconfigured her life around that. Mary, now, we know that Mary um, had every intention of obedience because of a specific adjective she used to describe herself in her response to the angel. We see this when she said, Mary called herself a bondslave of the Lord. That word bondslave is the Greek word doulos, and this is what it means. One who voluntarily gives up himself to another person's will. One who voluntarily gives. You know when Paul in the New Testament says, Paul, a bond slave or a bond servant of the Lord Jesus. That's what Paul was talking about. Paul's life wasn't his life anymore. Mary, when she says, behold, your bond slave, she's making a life-altering decision. She's not adding what the angel said to her life. She's reconfiguring her life and transforming your life. In other words, Mary is literally saying, from this point forward, my life is not my own. I am voluntarily giving up my life as Mary to fulfill the word that was just spoken to me. It's one, it's doulos, it's one who voluntarily gives up himself. In other words, listen to me, this is what's so interesting. I want, you, I want this to sink in. In other words, when Mary says this, she's saying, not my will, but yours be done. Let that sink in. Right. Sound familiar? Yeah. A couple notes about this obedience. Her obedience was quick. As parents, I learned this from my wife. She tells this to the kids all the time. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Mary's obedience was quick. It was without hesitation. I talked about this last week. How quick are you to surrender? Mary just jumped on it. It's, she cashed in her chips. She laid her plans to the side. 
and said, it's not about my life, I'm now a bondservant. She voluntarily gave up her will. It was quick. Now, I want you to understand the importance of quick obedience. Because there are times, like in Aaron's situation, God, God will, let me just say it this way. God will have things he'll call you to that aren't necessarily immediate, but then there will be things that are absolutely immediate. And the reason why they're absolutely immediate or require immediacy is because it's within a certain window. Okay, so it's not, now, now let's talk about the window. Uh, the window generally is the, the span of our life. But within that window are other windows. And you don't know how big the window is unless you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit in your relationship with the Lord. Could it be that when Aaron passes and looks back on life, that Jesus says, well done, because you didn't know the window when you were to go in and pray was the, end the deadline for that was your aunt's surgery. It was a window. The reason for that is because we know that there are kairos moments in our life where God is trying to do something and your immediate obedience is required because he's got a window that he needs to get it done in. We, we, we hear this phrase, we hear this, this quote, that the opportunity of a lifetime is only available in the lifetime of the opportunity. That's what a Kairos moment is about. It's about taking advantage. It's a carpe diem. It's seizing the moment. Mary's obedience was quick. Second thing is her obedience. Now, this is, this is more, you know... Um, not directly spoken, but I really believe it applies to her life and specifically to our life. Her obedience was not something she sowed with an expectation of reaping something greater later. Now, we don't see any indication of Mary trying to bargain with God. Sometimes we want God to reward our obedience with something that we want. So what we do is we try to use our obedience as a bargaining chip for God to open a door that we've been wanting to walk through. You know what that's called? It's called manipulation. Which is the extreme version of the prosperity gospel. It's manipulation. It's witchcraft. This is why, this is why um, Samuel rebuked Saul and said, I just, God just wanted you to be obedient. He didn't want you to like offer up all these sacrifices. The whole point was Saul was being disobedient, but thought he had an alternative that he could go ahead and like, you know, throw towards God and it would appease God. It was manipulation. Whenever you try to use your obedience as a bargaining chip, you're operating under manipulation. We don't see that in Mary. We put a condition on our obedience and we say, okay, God, I will do this, but I want you to do this for me later. That's not how that works. We don't see that out of Mary. We don't see her sowing her obedience, trying to reap something greater later. The third thing, listen, by the way, bond servants don't have bargaining chips because you've given over your life. That's, that's, they just obey. That's why she did what she did. Number three, 
This is an exciting one. She saw her obedience not as something she had to do, but something she gets to do. Now, this is like, uh, for me, this is kind of a, a renewing my mind type of thought. Do you see the things in your life that God has called you to do or wants you to be obedient to him in as obligations? I do. Let's be real. A lot of times when God would call us to something or we would have a Kairos obedience moment, like, like Aaron said, man, this is a terrible day to ask me to do this. We see it, we react to it as an obligation. <sighs> Not another thing. I don't have any space in my life for this. But we don't see that in Mary. Mary saw her obedience, not as something she had to do, but something she gets to do. The Passion Translation actually accentuates that. Listen to this. It says it this way. Then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. I, I get to be God's mom. See, this shows us. That Mary's obedience wasn't an obligation, but a joy for her to undertake. One of the questions, that, and, and this is honestly, this is really, uh, really something we need to have a renewed mind about because we will not default to this perspective. One of the questions I have for us today is this. Do you believe and actually realistically, truthfully believe that what God has called you to and will call you to, no matter what it is, is literally the best thing God has for you. That's right. Do you really believe that? <laughs> because what that means is that we can actually have joy in the times that the call or the obedience is so difficult. We, we can literally say like, we have to understand this, that when God is calling us to these things that we would see as obligations, the call is literally he, him saying, when I'm thinking of you, this is the best I have in store. And do we believe that, though? Because when we're in the middle of the minutia, we're in, when we're in the middle of what we think is the pit, it's hard to believe that. Do we believe the call is literally God saying, I can't. Do we see it from heaven's perspective that when God shows up and gives you a call or is calling you to obedience, it's coming with joy. He's like, I can't wait to give this to you. I've been waiting so long to give it to you. And you're like, not another thing. I don't have any space in my life for that. No, we have it all messed up. She saw it as something she gets to do. See, it's an important question to consider because we can tend to begrudge God's will sometimes. We can have a why this and why me attitude. But what we see is that Mary obeyed because there was something in her that saw the call of God to be better than anything else that she had planned. In the middle of it all, literally, Mary's like, 
this is greater than anything I had in store for my life. And that's why she had joy. Can I tell you something? Joy comes when you know that you don't have to do it for God. You get to do it with God. That's when joy comes. The obligation comes out of a place where you think you have to do it for him. And you know what? A lot of times the reason why we get so burdened is because we're doing the call for him and not understanding that he's standing there like, you know, you could do this with me. You could actually do this with me and not just for me. I, you don't have to. You can do it on your own if you really want. But you, but you don't have to. I'm actually right here ready to do it with you. You don't have to carry that all on your own. We see that in Matthew chapter 11. This scripture has been life to me. Jesus says this, are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me and I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. The burden of God's call is always heavier if you're not sharing it. It just is. That just makes sense. And a lot of times we can get burned out and we can be burdened by the call or the things that God has called us to be obedient to because we're actually doing it for him, not doing it with him. He says, simply join your life with mine. And I love this. We had a leadership teaching. Clem Ferris said, this is one of the few times that Jesus actually describes himself. He said, learn my ways and you will discover that I'm gentle and humble and easy to please. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You should read that scripture every single day to remind yourself that the call, listen to me, the reason why you can have joy is because when you do it with God, not for God, it's easy to bear. That is a miracle in and of itself. If you want to know, listen, if you want to know if you've been done, doing something for God and not with him, how hard is it? I mean, how heavy is it? How heavy is it? When I'm preparing a sermon and it's heavy and I'm, I feel obligated and I, I just don't, I, I'm just trying to get through, just get it done so I can go back to my life, I've taken a call and made it an obligation. And the truth is, I'm, not, I'm just there and I'm like, I'm doing this for you, God, instead of say, realizing that if I would join my life to his, I could have the joy of doing it with him. See, I can, I can figure out a sermon. I can go on Google and I can be like, what does, what does Google say about obedience? What, listen to five different messages about obedience. Do all this research, look up all the quotes and all that, and I could do that in my own strength. And it would take a whole lot of time. But, but, or I could join my life to his and just say, okay, God, what do you want to say? And what would take me 10 hours would take two hours and be much. Can I tell you how excited I am when I get a revelation from the Lord that I didn't look up? 
because it came so easy because instead of trying to do something for him, I did it with him. And he was like, I told you it would be easy if you would just join your life to mine. We can do stuff with, with him or for him. See, joy in obedience wasn't just something that set apart Mary from others, but we see her imparting and influencing people throughout Scripture with that same joy in obedience. What's an example? John 2, the wedding at Cana. They've run out of the good wine, and there's that cultural pressure that you're supposed to keep the best wine to the end. Well, they ran out. So Mary... 30 years into saying, let it be done to me according to your word, definitely has some joys because she's had the privilege of seeing 30 years of this Messiah that she said yes to the angel Gabriel. And so here she is. She, we don't know about all the recorded miracles that took place in the home, but obviously Mary has an expectation that, God, that Jesus can do something miraculous at this, at this time. So what does she do? There's a, they've run out of wine. She's just, she's over in left field where she should have been, minding her own business, but she comes to Jesus because she's got an expectation. Because how many times through that 30 years was she like, wow, 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 this is for real the dude. Like, this is the Messiah. So she comes to him, she says, they ran out of wine. And he says, what does this have to do with me, woman? My time has not come. So what does she do? Mary doesn't get offended. Mary starts to Im impart obedience. So what does she do? She runs to the waiters and the waitresses and says, just do whatever he tells you to do. You know why she said that? Because she's 30 years in to just doing whatever God told her to do. And she's got a joy, she's got an expectation, and she's excited because you have no idea. On the other side of my yes was Jesus. I want you to experience what will happen in your life when you just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. You will carry a miracle in a pitcher thinking it's water, and when you pour it out, it actually is wine. Just do whatever he tells you to do. This is Mary, like... Just, I, I don't have, I, I haven't prayed. I haven't really sought the Lord. But all I know is if you do what he tells you to do, it's going to be crazy. Amen. This is Mary and John too. Another place that we see is that Mary saw her obedience. It's not something she had to do, but something she gets to do. You know how scripture says that Jesus, with joy, set before him, was obedient to the cross. I wonder if he got that from his mama. See, we, we credit Father God, but what about Joseph and Mary? Did, did Mary impart a joy set before his obedience to him because she had joy? set before her obedience to God? Let's take it a step further. You remember when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he says to his father in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, Father, if you are willing, take this cup for me, yet not my will but yours be done. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like may it be done to me according to your word. I'd like to suggest this morning that Jesus' joy set before him 
and obedience in the garden were influenced from a mom that did the same exact thing. May it be done to me according to your word is pretty much the same as not my will, but yours be done. First essential to surrender that we see in Mary's response was obedience. Now as we transition, here's, here's a key. If you want to know what determines the amount of joy you will have when, you, when God calls you to something, it's all based on trust. Trust. The joy that you have in obedience is in proportion to your trust in God. When you have great trust, obedience is easy. When you don't, obedience is an obligation and it's difficult. What we have to understand is that trust makes I will never leave you nor forsake you real. Because a lot of times, part of that mentality where we think we have to do something for God and not with God is we think God gives us a call or a command and then abandons us. Says, figure it out. And so what ends up happening is we, we don't have joy because we think we're left to deal with this on our own, realizing that the call is actually God wanting to come closer to you. It's trust. Second essential to surrender is trust. Then Mary responded saying, this is amazing. I will be a mother for the Lord. And listen to this next part, because this is where we see Mary's trust when we read between the lines. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. That's a trustworthy declaration. May everything you have told me come to pass. Mary said, I accept whatever he has for me. Trust accepts the whatevers that come, because trust doesn't need to understand all of the unknowns. When you really trust, you don't need to know it all. Proverbs 3, 5, Solomon says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and what? Lean not on your own understanding. Literally, Solomon says they're almost on opposite ends of the spectrum. If you need to understand it all, that does not require any trust. That's literally what he's saying. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding of everything. Trust accepts whatever, the whatever's that come because trust doesn't need to understand. The reason why Mary could say, may everything you have told me come to pass, was because she trusted God, not because she understood it all. She didn't understand it. She just trusted. Mary was able to endure all of the unknowns that were to come because she didn't have to know them. I said this last week. Do you need to know everything before you surrender? God. I hear this call, I see it, but if you could go ahead and see, if you could give me all the details from point A to point Z, I'll consider it. Surrender says, I see point A, that's good enough for me. I trust you. I don't need to see anything else. Because I'm going to trust in the Lord with all of my heart. And not rely, not lean, not put weight on my own understanding 
in my own knowledge of B through Z. I'm going to anchor myself in your character because I trust you. I just trust you. See, one of the questions that I have for us all today is when you and I consider the things we have surrendered to God, how well have we reacted to the unknowns? It's important because, listen, the quality of our trust in God is proven in how we react to the unpredictable. The quality. The quality of it. I'll never forget a time where uh, my trust was uh, tested. I was at Lowe's, which is like my favorite place to go. You know, like, uh, you know, my wife likes to, you know, go to Hobby Lobby or, I don't know, just, you know, we got a Sam's Club membership. Sometimes I just like to walk. When you have kids, you just like, you just want to go somewhere for 25 minutes, just walk around and look at all the stuff. We have, like, we have a Cosi membership. I told my wife, I said, I want to go to, uh, on a date to Cosi so I can actually, like, read all the signs. Because <laughs> <laughs> so whenever you take the kids to the zoo, it's the same thing. Like, you don't get to appreciate anything. So sometimes you just like to go and just walk around. So I'll, I'll just go periodically to Lowe's. It's like therapy. I can just walk around, just look at all the tools and all that stuff. And, um, so I was there one day, and I actually ha- was there because I had to pick up a couple of things. And, uh, and so I was waiting in line to uh, check out, and out of nowhere, I have this thought come into my head. The clerk at the register has a dad that has heart issues. It's like this thought comes to my head, right? Now, I took my Mark Berkler's class, and I understood that God's voice often sounds like spontaneous thoughts that light upon your mind. So I, I took this thought, chalked it up, this is God speaking to me. So... Now, I'm confronted with an unplanned situation. I was just there to get a couple things. I wasn't there to give a clerk a prophecy. I wasn't there to give a clerk a word of knowledge. I wasn't there to pray for anybody. I just needed a ruler. Some measuring tape. So, the plan was to go to Lowe's, but was, what was unknown to me was that God wanted to use the trip. So, I had a choice to make. Do I step out? in faith and trust that this is God, or do I avoid it and just do what I need to do? So I decided to trust and be obedient. So now, you know, I'm like five people back, so now you start to think about how is this going to play out? Like, you know, you start to like have like Hollywood clips in your head. Like, I'm going to come up and like the presence of the Lord is just going to fall on her. She's going to be slain in the spirit behind me. I'm like, this is no accident. Men of Reynoldsburg. I declare to you, so, <laughs> so you start to figure out how am I going to interject this in the conversation, and uh, for me, um, because of the nerves and the anxiety, um, it probably sounded like I was going through puberty again, so, excuse me, um, I know this sounds random, but so I just, hey, I know this sounds random, but does your dad have heart issues? It was incredible how she responded. Listen, it was amazing. You'll never believe what happened next. I asked her that, and she says, nope. (laughs) So now I'm kind of scrambling. So I say, does your father-in-law have heart problems? Nope. So now, by, by now, the conversation is definitely going the way that I wanted it to go. 
And so it finally gets to the point where I pretty much say to her, do you know anybody? Does your dog have heart problems? Does your niece, your nephew, aunt, oh, does anybody? She says, nope. Cool. Sorry. Wanted to randomly ask you a question. So I feel pretty much like a colossal failure at this point. And I'm walking out into the parking lot. And I'm thinking, well, that was a cool way to miss God. And I was actually kind of frustrated. Because if you've ever been in this place, like you've trusted God. And you were obedient. And then something like that is how it turned out. So I take my receipt, walk out the door, and I'm having a conversation with, my, with God like underneath my breath. And I'm like, God, what the heck was that all about? <laughs> Might have substituted like another word. <laughs> the heck was that all about? And I'm thinking, if it wasn't you, then why did you let me go through all of that? Like you could have just stepped, you could have just visibly appeared, no, it's not me. Disappear. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, I don't. And I just sense the Holy Spirit actually said this. He says, that actually was me. I was just using that situation to get you over fear. Wow. Wow. Amen. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you know he is, what he speaks is so personal. It's so connected to knowing you in and out. And so he lights this thought upon my mind. I trust and obey. I have no idea how this is going to play out. In my head, I'm like, this is going to be an amazing movie. I'm going to like lay hands on her. She's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and start coming to church. I give her this word of knowledge. Nothing happens. And God's like, yeah, that was me. I actually set you up to get you over the fear of the failure of missing me. So now the next time you won't care because you already have that under your belt. How amazing is God? Do you trust him in all of the unknowns? Can I tell you that at the moment that he would have said what he said, if he would have said that she would have said no, I wouldn't have done it. Because I would have been like, what's the point? You give me this prophetic word, she's gonna, you reveal to me, she's going to say no. Why do I even go through the whole process? I just went with what I knew. And then look at the outcome. It was actually for me. <laughs> this is the goodness of God. See, it was the partnership of my trust and God's goodness that he wanted to use an unknown to me that was known to him to do something in me for the better. So one of the things I want to encourage you with today is that God has a plan for every unknown that you will walk into because of your surrender. So just trust him and leave the unknowns up to him. Do you know that God actually does that on purpose? God actually purposely withholds the full picture from us. It's not by accident. It's actually by intention. Look at uh, Proverbs 25-2 with me. We're going to just look at the first half of the scripture. I could preach a whole sermon on the scripture, but it is what it is, right? You guys are here. So it says, it is for the glory of God to conceal a matter. For the glory of God to actually keep certain things hidden 
and to keep them secret. So glory, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. God sometimes chooses to conceal things so that we will experience his glory when what is concealed is revealed. He, will, he won't show us everything. Did, do you, how many revelations have you received between now and when you first believed that have put you in awe at God? He didn't reveal it all at the beginning. We see in Paul's life that there's revelation after revelation after revelation. It's not all handled to, handed it to, to him at one time. It is through the course of his life that he experiences revelation after revelation after revelation that causes him to stand in awe at the goodness of God and experience his glory when what was concealed is actually revealed. This is why he conceals it. Now listen to me. I received God's call uh, to be in ministry at the age of 15. And the way that that looked was there was three different people uh, that lived in three different states in the United States that from conferences, meetings, whatever, literally within a period of like six months were like, you're going to be called into ministry. You're being groomed for ministry. This is what's going to happen in your life. And it, it, I, I felt I had preached a sermon in our youth group you know, at 15. And uh, after, I read that, I, after I did that, I was like, I feel like this is what God wants me to do. Well, three people verify that within six months in that same year. And I was like, okay, this is what God has for me. Now, it was exciting. I couldn't wait to be in ministry. And uh, I started to dream about what the next t 10 years of my life would be like from that point when I received the call. And I determined, because, you know, we, we all make our plans. I determined I'm going to graduate from high school. I knew that if God called me, he was going to be the one that had to open the door in his timing. So it's not like you put an ad in the paper, like, looking for a youth pastor? So I just was like, it's going to come in his timing. But his timing, I still had a window on. I was thinking, you know, it'll probably be within the next five years. I'll probably, at 23, I'll probably be a youth pastor, right? And so I start to plan this out. So in the meantime, between when I got the call and when I got the opportunity, I was like, you know, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity. I went to Ohio State. I got a, uh, a bachelor's degree in history. So I thought, I'll graduate from high school. I'll go to college. Then once I graduate from Ohio State, at like 23, I'm going to become a youth pastor. That's not how it happened. So age of 23 came and went. 24 came and went, and I wasn't a youth pastor. 25 came and went, and I wasn't a youth pastor. And, you know, 26, like at the beginning of the new year, I'm like, this is the year. Nope. 26 came and went, still wasn't a youth pastor. And I'm thinking, I'm kind of tired of waiting on God. So I'll never forget, I was 27 years old, and I was about halfway through my 27th year. I received the call at 15. 12 years went by. Nothing's happened. I've done everything that I thought I could do to re-navigate or re-structure you know, my life around what God spoke. Believed in it, prayed for it, trusted it, not happening. And so I kind of got to the end of like wanting to do it anymore. And at this time, I was serving as a youth leader, and we were at like a, a winter conference. And I'll never forget one of the nights I was actually in worship, and uh, I just had a conversation with God that pretty much 
uh, went this way. I was there, and I was like, I'm just kind of tired of waiting. I'm just going to go ahead and give up on this. And I said, I literally said this out loud. I said, God, I'm done. Done with being a youth pastor. Don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired of waiting. I'm just going to go back to school. This, this was my plan. I'm just going to go back to school. I'm going to get my master's in education. I'm just going to teach for the rest of my life and just have amazing free month summers off. <laughs> this was my thought. And what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just be a volunteer, volunteer youth leader, you know, for, for however long. And, you know, that's, way, that's the way I'll serve in the ministry. And you know what? Like, I had this conversation with God, and nothing supernatural happened. It wasn't like God just, like, was like, Caleb, relax. I just had it, came and went. But here's the mystery of, of God. Here's what I couldn't understand. Literally two weeks later, after I came to that conclusion, the former youth pastor was taking a position out of state, and Pastor Dwight comes to me and offers me the position as a youth pastor. <laughs> what? I was so frustrated with God. So frustrated. Like, why now? I have waited 12 years to be a youth pastor. In that 12 years, I thought I had all the energy. I thought I had, I, I felt like I was timing out on the passion <laughs> at 27, to be honest. I was about, I'm just done. I, I don't understand why now. You knew my heart, you knew my excitement, my energy, my passion. Why do you offer me the job two weeks after I said I don't want it anymore? <laughs> so this is where I am. And I didn't know in the midst of the frustration that God was doing something in the unknown. And I didn't know what he was concealing for me the whole time that would be revealed later. So I remember thinking, how is this part of the plan? Why would God put me through all of this? What was the purpose? Was he just teasing me with the call? Because a lot of times when we're between when God spoke and it happens, we can, we can wrestle through all of those types of thoughts. And I'll never forget that I was, I don't know where I was, but I was complaining about, God, why now? Why did you call me in after I had given up on it? And this is what he said to me, and this is what has sustained me for the last nine years. He said, Caleb, now you'll do ministry for my glory, not yours. Now you'll do ministry for my glory, not your own. So I don't get it. I don't fully get it until I'm in the first year of full-time ministry. Listen to me. I could talk for hours about the adversities that I faced in that first year, but i got to tell you something. God knew what he was doing. Because I cannot tell you how many times in that first year that if I would have been doing youth ministry for my glory, I would have given up. What he did is he got me to a place where doing it for myself had to die. So that when I got into it, that would no longer be the motivation.
because of all of the adversities, challenges, difficulties in that first, that first year, if I would have done it for me, I would have been like, it's not worth it. Bye. I had three months off when I was teaching before this. And so he had to kill it in me so that when I got into the position, listen, I would now do it for his glory. The moral of the story is, listen, God concealed all of that from me so that later I would experience the goodness of his glory. And I cannot tell you how many times that first year in all of the adversities, all of the challenges, all of the brokenness that ministry produced, that I would get on my knees and I would thank God that he killed it in me. I would be on my knees saying, thank God that you took my desire for ministry from me because if that's what motivated me, I wouldn't be doing it anymore. That's right. It was the glory of God to conceal all of that from me so that when what was concealed was revealed, I would glory in the goodness of him. Thank you, God, that you did all of that in my heart before I got into it so that I wouldn't want to do it for me. This is God's glory. He conceals things on purpose. Here's some final thoughts. Probably went way too long anyways. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Takes one to know one. Mary's <laughs> surrender. <laughs> show. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> And for my final closing, (laughs) listen, Mary's surrender shows us what's essential to ours. If we're going to surrender, we have to be obedient. We got to trust. Here's the good news. Mary's surrender and our surrender is not based solely on our own willpower alone to accomplish. Now, let me go back to Luke 1, verse 28. Do you remember the first thing that the angel said to Mary when he walked into her home. Luke 128, this is New American Standard. He sa- it says, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, he said, greetings, favored one. That word favor is the word grace. The word grace. So, The angel greeted Mary with grace. Greetings, favored one, equals greetings, one who carries grace. He greeted her saying that she had grace. I want you to notice an order in the conversation. The angel did not inform her of the call of God until after he informed her that she had the grace of God. When the angel told Mary all the things that God had called her to do, she wasn't left to her own willpower to accomplish them because God was giving her a grace to carry out the call. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed by what God would ask us to be obedient in. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the call of God. We can feel inadequate to carry out the call. But I want to encourage you that when God chose you to carry out the call, he didn't choose you because of you alone. He didn't choose you because of your skill set, because of your talents. He chose you because he saw what his grace applied to your life could accomplish. 
when you, listen, you, you, I don't even know if you get it yet. When, when, when you read your prophetic word and you say, that's no, there's no way that I could do this, you are absolutely right. But he doesn't look at you without grace applied. He doesn't look at you saying, I'm going to have to give them grace for them to do this. The call comes out of a perspective of seeing grace applied to your life, and that's where it's coming from. It's not coming from, you know what, I'm going to have to throw them a bone so that they can carry this out. The call comes out of him saying, you know what, Tracy, I'm gonna, this says the Lord, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, I don't know how I can do that. That's okay, because he didn't say it without grace applied. He didn't say it, say, I'm going to give that to you later. He gave Mary the grace before the call. So we, 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 get all flustered, we get all frustrated, we all feel inadequate without realizing that every time he calls you to something, every time he asks you to be obedient, there's a grace that is going to be applied to you to be able to carry it out and to fulfill it. So when you're in the middle of, oh my gosh, I don't know how I can do this, it's not all on you. There's a grace that he's going to apply to you. It's not about you. It's about what his grace applied to you can do. Our surrender is not about our own willpower. It's about God's grace applied to our life so that we can accomplish his will. My question at the end here is this. Do you trust in the grace that God has for your life to surrender to him today? Do you trust in the grace? Everything that God has called you to, everything that he's requiring obedience in, he has given you a grace. Grace is on your doorstep to be able to carry it out. I was sharing this with the worship team, that my mantra so many mornings in the last month on my way to the church has been, Jesus, I trust in the grace that you have on my life. I trust it. Because if I don't, there's no way I can do this. I trust in the grace that you have in my life. Do you trust in the grace that God has given you to be able to surrender to the call and to the things he's asked you to be obedient in? Because that grace will sustain you. And it's actually the thing it's the thing he added to your life, which is why he said what he said to you. Will you stay with me? Mary knew surrender. Surrender is simply trust and obedience. It's trust and obedience. It's trust in the unknowns, and it's saying yes and actually not just agreeing, but putting it into action. Um, how many of you uh, just have something in your life that you need to trust God in? I just want to pray that, um, that you would surrender and that you would experience the grace. So just whatever it is, just put your hands up. Thank you, Lord.
God, your grace is sufficient for us. It is perfected in our weakness. When we do not think we could ever carry out the call, we could ever be obedient, God, you have given us a grace that will empower us to accomplish it. So, Lord, for every person in the room that's got their hands lifted, God, it's, it's, it's a surrender to you. God, they're surrendering an area they need to trust you in. And I pray right now that, God, in the surrender and in the trusting in the unknown, in the walking out of the obedience, God, I pray that they would experience your grace. And, God, that they would wonder in awe of your goodness in it. I pray that everyone in the room would trust in the grace that you have on, your, on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're visiting with us, we would love to, for you to come forward, meet Pastor Dwight and Tammy and our pastoral team. Other than that, we love you. We will see you guys later. God bless you.